fact, I want you to do this. Open your Bibles. Go ahead and go to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 13 is where we're going to be spending our time together this morning as we're wrapping up a series called Living in the Valley. And we talked early on about this extended valley experience that we've all been walking in. And yet, it's in the valleys we do spend most of our lives. And it's in the valleys we really see God's hand in ways we never do when things are just at that mountaintop experience. And so today, I just want to ask God to help us to open our hearts to Him. And it's been a, it's been a good week, uh, even here at Hope. We uh, had our Thanksgiving uh, pantry night. I'm going to let Mel give all the stats next week as she gives us her report. But we've had almost 200 families. I will say that. And I just think we should stop and give God glory because I tell you, it took everybody to get it done, right? So let's give God a hand for that. And just uh, to share with our community and a uh, lot of work. It was The weather was perfect, so we're very thankful for that. You know, this is the season of the year that you either like or you don't. I, I found that it brings a lot of unique things into this time, right? And uh, there's things you can count on. There's things you can't, you can't expect that always happen during the holiday season. But one of the things I always can count on, no matter what at my house, is there are always going to be these epic movies that you see once a year, right? There, there are these things that you just know that no matter what place you turn to, they're going to be on because it's the holidays. I mean, come on, there is the best Christmas movie ever that we are all waiting on. You know it is a classic. It's called Die Hard because that is truly a Christmas movie. We all enjoy Bruce Willis taking over the, the tower, right? Uh, in, in my household, Denise thinks Christmas and Hallmark go together, but help me out, somebody. Come on. It's a little too much. But, you know, you do. You look forward to the It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, honestly, you know, nothing Denise loves any movie with Gerard Butler in it. She thinks that's a classic. I don't know why. But, uh, it, again, you just see these things you can count on. them. But, one, it never fails. Every holiday season, you will see this somewhere listed in the TV guide. And it's all about this guy with the, the blue face, Braveheart. Come on, somebody. Come on. The story of William Wallace, the, the story of, uh, of what we know as Braveheart. I mean, it's, it's a man who had a calling, right? You know what his calling and it was. It was freedom, right? There was, a, there was something he was called to lead. He had a cause to break free uh, Scotland from the oppressive and uh, brutal English occupation. He was a brilliant leader. Studies have been made about William Wallace, not Mel Gibson, but uh, William Wallace, uh, of just his amazing leadership gifts to take this small band of untrained people and literally take down the army of England. There was no success against their, their, their battle skills, but tragically, William Wallace died because he's betrayed and he was deceived by those who were closest to him. You see, England's King Edward found out very early on they couldn't beat them. They, they, they couldn't match up. The, the guerrilla warfare of the Scots was too much. So he knew, he knew he was in trouble, but he also knew human nature. And so instead of going head-to-head -head with William Wallace and coming out to try to overwhelm him, he defeated him by the greater force uh, of, of this, and that is the human desire for comforts in the valley. You see... King Edward bribed the, the Scottish leaders to turn in William Wallace. He bribed them with titles. He bribed them with land. He bribed them with a future. Why? Because he knew they would settle for the familiarity of the comfort zone in face of the battle. We're going to talk about settling in the valley today. Because even though their cause was just, even though they had absolute moral superior desire to, to do what is right, they ultimately preferred comfort to battle, compromise to struggle. And in the valley, can I tell you, that is often the greatest battle we face. 
Instead of claiming the promises of God and stepping out by faith, it's just too easy to settle for that which we can control and that which we can handle. You see, the valley is seductive sometimes, whether it's the padded chair in the corner, whether it's the the fear of confrontation. And in that, William Wallace found that out, but also our Savior found that out. When Judas Iscariot chose the comfort of cold, hard cash over uh, over the cross, over the scandal of the cross, betraying our Savior with a kiss. And it's in the valley story today we're going to look at, we're going to see an entire generation, an entire people settle, choose comfort, choose the seduction of the valley over the promise of God in their lives. It's the story that is epic throughout God's Word. It's a story that, that we find a chapter in that we just wish wasn't written there. It's like our own lies. But yet it's a chapter where we're going to see some promises of God and some pathways of faith that we must learn to walk in if we're ever going to walk fully embracing all that God has for us. So join me in prayer this morning as we open our hearts up to to speak into this this morning. Father, we praise you. God, I thank you for family and friends, God. I thank you for for new acquaintances, God, those we're comfortable, familiar with, God. And I thank you, God, in this season, God, that we've been walking in, Lord God, we can say this, you are faithful. And God, our hope is in you. And I pray this morning, God, our, our minds will be open, our hearts will be open. Help, help us to overcome the, God, the uh, overindulgence of the season right now, God, to, to listen to what your spirit would speak to our lives. God, we give you praise, we give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. In Numbers, we read probably one of the most epic stories in, in the Bible. It's the, it's the story of the children of Israel approaching the promise of God. Literally, for over 430 years, the story of the promised land sustained them. For 430 years, they told their generation and the next generation, the next generation, God has a plan. God has a plan and a place he has made for us. In fact, it was the hidden hope of the Israelites when they were in bondage and slavery. It was the one thing the Egyptians couldn't take from them because when you have hope, no one else can take that from you. When you have hope, sometimes it's all you got and you just cling to it because you know no matter what else happens, God has a promise. And throughout their exodus and the wilderness journey, they long for the promised land. And now in Numbers 13, here we find them literally perched on the southern border. I mean, they're there. They're there. there. They can see it with their eyes. And yet, doubts began to creep in. Is it really as good as we believed? Is it really worth the battles that are ahead of us? So, So Moses, being the good leader he was, he did this. He sent in a dream team of warriors to go and spy out the land. And maybe you're familiar with the story, maybe it's new to you today, but I want you to see it as we read it in Scripture today because they, they went to spy out the land to, that he knew would bring back an encouraging report that they would move in and they would move forward. Pick it up in verse 17 of Numbers chapter 13. It says, When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and onto the hill country and see what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are, these tree, are, are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. In fact, the valley where they were walking into is known as the Valley of Shaul. It was uh, the, the valley of the cluster. It was known for its uh, amazing uh, harvest of, of grapes. And so they sent these spies in. Go, go check it out. Go see if what we've been told is true. And here we read about their report as they came out, beginning in verse 26, as they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community in Kadesh in the desert of Paran. 
And there they reported to them in the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. Oh, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. What Caleb was saying was, he says, Hey, faith. Have faith. Where's your faith? Didn't God promise us this land? But, one of the worst words in the Bible, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Are they, are they spread among the Israelites? And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw, there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Here you envision this people. They've been wandering in the wilderness for years. They, they've seen the provision, the hand of God in ways we can only imagine. We, we, we call anything a miracle, but they really saw miracles. I mean, they, they had experienced things that are epic. We read about them. We tell our kids about them. Why? Because they show the power of God. And now they stand ready to go in, and they, they, they come to the cusp of, of receiving God's promise, and yet fear overwhelms them. And fear leads to compromise, and ultimately led to defeat. I mean, it's one thing to not go in. It's one thing to, to have that. I mean, come on, fear is a natural thing, right? Fear, fear is just something you experience when, whenever you come across something new. Fear is something that, that you can feel in your chest, isn't it? Over this holiday, our, our son came home, and we were having a great time together, and he's, in, he's invested in one of the, the new cars that will drive themselves, and the Tesla takes Dad out for a ride, and, and I'm driving down the road, and I'm like, this is a really sweet car. And he punches the button and said, Dad, take your hands off the steering wheel. And I'm like, you're nuts. He said, no, take them off the steering wheel. I said, you're nuts. Take them off the steering wheel. And I did, and we were going into a curb, and there's cars coming in the curb, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm not ready. I'm not, my heart is beating. I feel like I've been at Carowinds on a bad day. It just, it's natural when you find something new to, to have fear. But if we're not careful as believers, our fear often will lead us to compromise. And we'll say, I don't, I'm not sure God is good enough. I'm not sure God's promises are for me. And if we're not careful in that moment of compromise, if we act on it, it ultimately leads to defeat. And it was one thing for them not to go in, but it got even worse. They wanted to go back. Check it out. Chapter 14, verse 1. It says, That night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now, let me ask you a question familiar with the story at all. What were they in Egypt? They were slaves. They literally were in bondage. They literally had no freedom. They had no choice. They slaved away their lives only at the hands of their masters. So here they were wanting to go back to Egypt. What had they seen in their journey from Egypt? They'd seen the miracles. Think about it. They saw the Red Sea part. Come on, who wouldn't want to see that, right? 
They, they, they saw water come from a rock, manna and quail fall from heaven. Nothing but victory and provision in the face of all challenges. Yet in the moment of their ultimate victory, fear overcame them and they settled into compromise. It's tragic, but it's more tragic because it's common. It's common even today that the things God shows us in his word, the things he promises to us, the dreams he's given us so often, we, we hold back because there's a fear factor that keeps us from pressing in. Here's the truth I want you to see. It'll be on the screen this morning, and, and it'll speak to every one of our lives, and that is this. In between every promise of God to us and its ultimate fulfillment, there is always a battle of fear and a path of compromise. I mean, think about it. Salvation. Here's the promise of God, of forgiveness, of restoration, of relationship with our creator. But the moment we come near it, there starts the whisper of fear in our, in our ears, that fear, whisper of compromise. It, it's going to cost you too much. Do you not know what you're going to have to give? What will my friends and family think if I, if I accept this Savior? And, oh, I've met some Christians. You know what? They're pretty strange. I've got news for you. They were strange before they came to Christ, Okay. Coming to Christ doesn't change your personality, it changes your destiny, I guarantee you that. Boy, we have that whispers of fear. God makes a promise concerning your family, a dream over your children, a dream over your business or your ministry, and the, and the whispers of the enemy come, and it's like, he starts saying to us, your, your faith's not strong enough to handle that. People, even those closest to you, will ridicule your choice of following God, a choice to leave the herd and go after the, the adventure of God, and they'll, they'll put you down for that. Even God's promise of provision and peace that flow from obedient spirits of generosity and sacrifice. The enemy always comes along the moment you're going to enter into that realm, and he says, oh, wait a second. God's not, God's not that good. You can't, you can't really trust him. You'll never have enough. Put your comfort and need above everybody else's because after all, we're supposed to look out for number one. And we hear the whispers every time we come to a promise of God. And we hear the intimidation that follows it because it always brings us to that point of do we go in or do we settle in the valley of compromise? We've all been there. But today I want to show you a way to walk through that. I want to show you how to overcome that through this story. Number one is this. In our lives, no matter where we are, no matter what God's promises are, don't ever overestimate our enemy. Don't ever overestimate our enemy. Our enemy. Because here's what happens. Overestimation of the enemy erodes faith, it destroys confidence, and it always warps our perspective. Numbers 13, verse 33, we saw the Nephilim there, giants. <laughs> and we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. It didn't say that they called them grasshoppers. It didn't say you are grasshoppers. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. See, one of the greatest tools of the enemy toward our faith is intimidation. The Bible makes it clear that one of Satan's greatest weapons is always this. He, will, he roars like a lion whenever we approach the promises of God. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. He roars. Have you heard it? He intimidates. You're praying for the healing of a loved one, and he's saying it's not going to happen. You're believing for a child, and he says, oh, they're going to go the way of the world. 
He roars like a lion. Why? Because he knows if he can intimidate us, we're done. I'll never forget. I know as many of you do, we, we like to tend to build up our glory days more glorious than they were. And I, I never forget my senior year of high school, homecoming football game, Texas, against Huntsville of all things. And Huntsville, if you know anything, they were where the state prison was. And we were all convinced they'd snuck the prisoners out. And I never forget because I, I come out of the field house, I'm ready, and I walk out and their bus pulls up, and you know the old game. What do they do? They march off the biggest, baddest, meaning guys they, they can march off, and they look over and they're singing, they're singing Tiger Meat. We were tigers. And in that moment, I felt like a cub. And in that moment, so did the rest of the team. We were just as good as them, we were just as coach as them, we were just as strong as them, but from the moment they stepped out, they intimidated us, and we were finished. Why we ever scheduled a homecoming, I do not know. It was a disaster because all of a sudden we lost confidence in who we were. And that's what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants you to lose confidence that you're a child of God. He wants you to lose confidence that you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. He wants you to lose confidence that God is for you and not against you. So he roars like a lion. But in that moment, we've got we've to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because if not, here's what happens. If we fasten our eyes on the size of the challenge, we're always going to be defeated. Guys, we would have done nothing as a church. We would still do nothing of a church if all we do is focus on the challenge. We serve a great God who is able, who is a provider, who is a strength to us, and we trust him. They were overwhelmed. They saw themselves as grasshoppers in their own eyes, but Caleb, Caleb saw the same giants. He saw the same walled cities, and he said, we are able to overcome. You see, he had scouted it out. Listen, gang, faith is never blind. Faith, faith, faith is, is not about just believing with no, no promise at all. He had scouted out. He'd seen the same giants. He'd seen the walled cities. You see, faith never denies the reality of life. Faith, faith deals with it. Faith doesn't deny the reality or the difficulty, but it declares the promise and the power of God in the face of the problem. See, so often we just see the problem, and we forget there's a God. So often the problem seems overwhelming. We think we've got to fix it. How many fixers are in the house today? I'll put both hands up. And we think it's up to us, but it's not up to us because when God makes a promise, he's not a man that he should lie. He is the one that fulfills it, but we have to have the faith to take hold of his hand and walk into it because the enemy's always going to go into intimidation mode and we've got to keep our perspective. The enemy is not a lion. He roars like a lion. The enemy was not a giant, neither was it a challenge you're fighting today, because we are not grasshoppers, somebody. We are children of the Most High God. We are children of the King. Come on, somebody. We have a Father who never leaves us nor forsakes us. We have a God that never sleeps nor slumbers. When He makes a promise, you can count on it, because He is our God. He's our King. So number one, don't overestimate the enemy. Second is this, never underestimate your God. Never underestimate your God. I, I did a series years ago called How Big Is Your God? It just, I, think, I think we have to deal with that as believers. How big is your God? Do you trust him or not? You see, the valley calls us to increase our faith in the promises of God rather than to focus on the seemingly impossible odds as of obtaining what God has for us. Neither, though, should we focus on our limitations in the valley. Because again, it's not up to us. It's up to our God. You see, spiritual advance requires faith, and unbelief will never see beyond our difficulties. Here's what unbelief does. Unbelief focuses on giants and walled cities, but faith focuses on the power and the promise of God. 
Unbelief magnifies the obstacles, but faith magnifies the Lord Almighty. Unbelief says, I'm not able. And faith says, all things are possible to them that believe. Guys, it comes down to that, do I trust my God or not? The Hebrews had apparently forgotten. <laughs> They'd forgotten the plagues in Egypt. They'd forgotten the parting of the sea. They'd forgotten the quail and manna. In the face of giants, they'd forgotten everything God had done for them. Listen, don't let the, don't let the light of yesterday's miracles grow dim in the darkness of today. We, we've lived through a year that's been very dark. We've lived through a year that's very much in the valley. Do not let the miracles of yesterday dim in the light of today's experience. Our God's still on the throne, people. Our God is still able. And you know what? He is still moving us forward. He's still moving your family forward. He is still fulfilling promises he made to you long ago that you're still harboring in your heart. Think about what he's done for you. Has he saved you? Has he lifted you up? Has he been faithful to you? Yes, yes, yes. If he's God, don't ever underestimate his power, his promises. Listen, think about this. God's promises are never based on your abilities. Never. God doesn't call you because you're able. He calls you because he's faithful to you. God doesn't give you a promise and say, go, go now, take care of it, make it happen. No, that's when we get in trouble. We talk about that in the leadership here at Hope and the team, is that if we ever get a hold of it and say, this is ours, it's done. If we ever think we're carrying this in our own hands, it's done. Because it is God who goes before us. It is God whose promises we trust. Because it is God's promises that aren't based on our ability and strength. They are received by faith and obedience and obedience alone. So we never underestimate our God. Here's the third truth. Don't ever overestimate the past. Some are so bound by the past. You drag it along like a ball and chain. It's your glory, it's your story, and you need to let it go sometimes. We have a tendency to build up the past if it is good. In fact, we make it better than it ever really was. I always laugh when people long for the good old days. I don't even know what the old, good old days were. They were just old. There were some good in them, but they were just days. I don't want to go backwards. I want to keep going with God wherever he leads us. You see, by clinging to the glories of the past, whatever we think them to be, we run the risk of missing out on all that God wants to do now. I get nervous when people start saying, oh, pastor, we're praying for revival. And I want to go, what do you think that means? Tell me what that means. Because a lot of times what it means, they're, they're thinking of something that happened back in the day they've read about or their grandparents talked about or maybe they had a, a taste of. And I always counter and say, I, I pray for revival, but what I want it to look like is what God wants to do now, not then. I want to see what God wants to do now, not back then. Because our God is leading us progressively forward as we put our trust in him. You see that night, the Bible says in chapter 14, they begin to raise their voices and weep aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the whole assembly, and they said some of those foolish things. If we'd only died in Egypt. If we'd only died in the wilderness, in the desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land? Only let us fall by the sword. Our wives, our children will be taken as plunder. Would it have been better for us to go back to Egypt? How foolish. Would it be better for us to go back to slavery than to trust God to enter in? So they said, let's choose a leader. Guys, I'm convinced. We can't let the good old days run God's present promise to us today. We, we, can't, we can't let a longing for the past keep us away from what God wants to do now. In every season of life, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. God, can I just stay here? 
God, this is good. But time keeps moving. We keep moving. And God's promises weren't for back there. They are for today. He is not the great I was. He is the great I am. He's with us. He's not out there waiting for us to catch up with him. He's walking with us by his Holy Spirit in the moment, in the day. And his promises are precious to us because they're promises to us, not to the past. I'm convinced this will be on your screen. Fear of letting go of the good can keep us from laying hold of the best. (laughs) Whether that's in your career, in your family, in your walk with God. Fear of letting go. There are times, let's be honest, there are times. You're just like, God, slow down. Can we just rest here? Can we just hang out here? It's kind of like in the, in the Mount of Transfiguration when, uh, when the glory of the Lord was shown and Peter and John were there and, and they're like, hey, can we just build like a tabernacle here? Can we just like build like a hut and let's just hang out in the glory of God? And, and what did God do? He just like blew them away with the smoke and the, and the, and the wind. They're like, no, not happening. We can't stay there because everything God does in us is for a purpose. That leads to his glory and his plan on this earth. And when we receive things of God and we experience these great miracles, it's not for us to sit back and just tell stories to grandkids. It's for us to go and tell those that don't know that there's a God who'll do the same for them. There's a God that will save them. There's a God that will fill them with the Holy Spirit. There's a God that will change them. But we've got to let go of the good if we're ever going to experience the best. They would have settled for the wilderness instead of the promised land with milk and honey flowing. Worse yet, they were willing to be enslaved again rather than have faith to possess the promise. Don't ever overestimate the past. These were people that teem with faith. These were people that were ready to take on the world. These were people that that no challenge was too great, but in the face of uncertainty, they gave in, and they settled in the valley of compromise. Listen, gang, if God says possess the land, possess it. If God says move forward, move forward. If God says stretch your faith, stretch your faith. Because it's not about your ability, it's his ability in the midst of our inability. Finally, this morning, don't underestimate the future. Never underestimate the future. God, God's vision, we got to keep it before us at all times. Don't, don't be distracted by the challenges. Don't be distracted by the things that we face. Yes, it's scary sometimes. Yes, it seems like when you've reached out by faith and you've stretched and believed and, and you break through and you're like, oh God, this is great. He just has another way of stretching a little further. I think so much of our Christian walk is what I call life on the stretch. Because it's not about getting somewhere, it's about becoming. And the more we see it that way, then we allow God to stretch us. We allow God to challenge our hearts. And we learn after a while that it's not in our ability, it's in His ability. So we lay hold of His promises and we trust Him. Think about this. When the Hebrews let the invasion become equated with fighting giants and conquering walled cities, they lost the reason for being there in the first place. You see, the goal of the struggle was not to defeat giants. The goal of the struggle was not to tear down walled cities. It was just to inherit the promise of God. They they totally missed it. They totally didn't realize that God was the one that was going to take them through. And trust me, no giant's big enough to take on our God. So what do you do? How do you stay there? How do you build yourself in that? Let me me help you with that. I I believe you got to do this. I I really believe you got to learn to rehearse daily God's promises and purpose for you. Rehearse them daily. Listen, don't live off the vapors of yesterday. You've got to rehearse daily. God, what is your promise for me? God, what is your purpose for me? 
God, what are you saying into my family right now? What happens when I read the Bible? What is jumping off the page? Rehearse that again and again and again because the problem is this. We have the ability to let it leak so badly. We've got to remind ourselves. We've got to remind ourselves of the reward. God honors faith. He rewards faith. The Bible makes that promise clear in our lives. Yes, there's heaven someday, but that's not what it's all about. It, it, we will be there. We'll, we'll enjoy that someday. But can I tell you, there's more than that what God wants to do in our lives. We can't settle in that moment. We've got to rehearse it, and we've got to remember all that God has and all God wants to do when we put our trust and our faith in Him. Here's what I do. I remind myself daily who I am in Christ. Maybe you've never done that. Can I tell you, if, if, you, if you're living off your own self-esteem, let me tell you something. Someday you're going to hit the wall, and that self-esteem is not going to be enough. Someday you're going to run into something that is greater than what your mom and dad try to put into you, and you better know in that moment who you are in Christ, because when you know who you are in Christ, then you're able to stand strong. And then you're able to look up and say, I am, I am free from condemnation because God saved me by the blood of Jesus. I've been bought with a price. I'm not my own. I belong to God, and according to 1 Corinthians 16, he's responsible for me. He's responsible for me. I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing according to Ephesians 1. I've been redeemed and forgiven from all my sins. I am a recipient of his lavish grace. When's the last time you just sat back and marveled at God's grace? Because when you do, you just look around and say, I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. But oh, God is good to us. I can approach God with boldness, Ephesians 3, 12, 12 tells me. I can walk in with freedom and confidence because I've been given a spirit of power, not a spirit of fear. I've been given a spirit of love in my God. I've been given the right to come boldly before the throne of God to find mercy and grace in my time of need according to Hebrews 4, 16. And I've been given exceedingly great and precious promises. Why? Not because I'm special, but because he is. And he made me in his image. And he made a promise into my life that I trust because I walk in the divine nature of my Savior. Listen, gang, we're not grasshoppers. We are the children of the King, and we've got to refresh that vision daily. Why did God put me here? What's happening in this season of life? One of my greatest struggles in, in what I am allowed to do as a minister is I, is I work in other churches and consult and work with other ministries, and I see ministers who've retired, but they're still working. Now, that mean they're working at Walmart. They're still leading churches, but they retired in their minds years ago. They stopped believing for the promises of God, and they're just hanging on to get done. Let that not be a description of your life. I want to be a Caleb. I want to be a Caleb. I want to be in my 80s and say, God, you promised that mountain to me. I know there's giants there, but get out of the way, because though I may be weak, God, you are strong. You see, forgetting God's promise and plan can lead to disastrous results. Because in the spiritual world, can I tell you, sometimes the spiritual matters. There are windows of opportunities that if we miss them, we've missed them. We've got to circle the mountain again. You see, they were shamed by their lack of faith. God brought judgment on the spies. And some of them panicked, and, and all of a sudden, they, they got a little backbone, and they said, oh, you know what? We missed it, but we can still go in. And they, they realized the consequence of their disobedience, and so they decided to invade Canaan anyway. As you see in the Scripture, the disastrous result, picked up in verse 45 in Numbers 14, said, nevertheless, in their presumption, <laughs> never presume, in their presumption, they went up toward the high hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. In other words, God did not go with them. 
Then the Amalekites and Canaanites who live in the hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. You see, guys, whenever God calls you to go, go. Whenever he calls you to move, move. Whenever he calls you to take the land, take the land. Because delayed obedience really is disobedience. It's a matter of just saying, I don't trust. And the consequences for them were great. They just, they didn't get it. They hesitated, they doubted, and they lost out on one of the greatest blessings God ever planned. Because if you know the story, that generation went back into the wilderness and circled and circled and circled and circled until everyone had died that stood on the border that day of the promised land, except for Caleb and Joshua. Can you imagine? I imagine Caleb and Joshua got tired of the funerals. I imagine they got tired of seeing another one go. But at the same time, something inside of them said, we have yet to receive what God promised to us, and we're not giving up. In that same valley, facing the same circumstances, one person finds failure and another one shows faith. The story of those who doubted is brief and bitter, defeat, plague, and death in the desert. But for Joshua and Caleb, the reward of their faith came later. And here's what I want to end on. When God makes a promise, we've got to remember it's in his time. We are so guilty of giving up on God's promise because it doesn't happen instantly. Forty years later. Forty years later. Somebody hadn't lived that long yet. Forty years later, they came into the promise. Forty years of wandering, 40 years of believing, 40 years of saying, God, what was wrong with these people? But yet they didn't give up. They had faith. That's why I love Caleb. Forty years later, <laughs> he claimed Hebron as his own. He claimed it for his generation, for generations to come. He claimed it for his children. He claimed it for his grandchildren because there was a promise of God. He chose to believe, and some say that he chose to believe for the most difficult part of the land there was. He didn't settle for what was easy. He settled for what was best. And he said, that's my land. That's God's promise. He didn't want comfort and ease. No, he wanted to obtain the promise of God for his life, giants and all. And today we know the name of Caleb. We know the name of Joshua. I went back and read the names of the other 10 spies. Don't even recognize the names. Why? Because they settled for compromise on the cusp of God's promise. So what has he spoken into you? Maybe you're one that you've been kind of circling around the cross and you know the way, you've heard it, you've been told that, that there's a Savior who died for your son. Maybe your past is only explained by you trying to make life happen, your terms, your ways. And yet the promise of God has been over you. In fact, you were probably prayed for by your grandma, if you'd be honest. Maybe your parents, maybe others that knew you. But there's a decision you've got to make. It's not a decision to join a church. It's not a decision to, to, to just look and act like those around. You know, it's a decision to kneel and bow and surrender your life to Christ. Because that's, what, that's where Christianity begins. That's where relationship with God begins. It's not by showing up and beating your chest and saying, Oh, God, you got a prize here. I've got so much to offer you, God. 
Yeah, that's what he does. He laughs. I think God laughs more than we know at us. But we come and we say, God, I have nothing. But God, I've heard you take me anyway. And you know, this could be your day. Maybe 2020, you've been trying to live it to get it over with. Oh, no. Why not redeem it and say, this is the day I receive Christ. The Bible says all of heaven rejoices in that moment because you go from death to life and, and God places his spirit in you and the promises of God begin to work in your life and you're never the same. Those that have done that know that and we rejoice in that, but maybe today that's your promised land. For others, you could be, taught, you could be living in the days of yesterday. Your, your, your testimony of faith could be about a used to be. Well, I used to be on fire for God, or I used to tell others about Him, or I used to serve, I used to teach, I used to lead. I just hold up Caleb and say, make him your model. Because you're not done until God says you're done. It's not over until God says it's over. But you've got to choose to not settle in the valley of the past and to keep moving into the future. Finally today, maybe there's been a promise spoken over you. Years ago, I wrote in my Bible, there was a word of prophecy spoken over me. Now, I, I know how to handle words. I've, I've taught you about words of prophecy. You just bring them into your heart, pray over them, let God bring them about. But I remember the day it was fulfilled. It had been 15 years. And I remember the moment. And I went back to that Bible, and I just circled it again because I said, God, you promised that. And now I've seen it come to pass. But in that moment, God spoke into my heart, don't settle here, because there's more promises to come. Take hold of what God has spoken to you. Don't stop believing because time has passed. Because as far as I know, he hasn't sent his son to come back to get us yet. He hasn't said it's done. And he's still waiting, and his promise is still true. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I love you. God, what a beautiful day to focus in on your promises God we come out of a weekend we call Thanksgiving God and we we do give thanks for great things you've done God in these weeks that we've walked through valleys together God and we've looked at your word God and we've we've learned to expect grace we call out to you God even we find ourselves in places we shouldn't be because Lord you are there with us God we learned to dig ditches by faith and prayer god because lord only the ditch we dig today can hold the grace of tomorrow and god you've taught us that that lord even we don't see it we've got to just keep doing what you show us to do god and just not give up and lord now today god as you show us that god when you give us the green light to go in we go in god we don't look at the circumstances god we don't look around us and say it's too great we look at you and we say you are great and our faith and our hope is in you. So, Father, I pray today, God, as we come to the end of this series, God, as we come to this place of, of expressing our hope in you, God, as we come to this place of deciding whose report we're going to believe, God, let our eyes be on you and let us trust that, God, you are faithful. God, I give you praise. I give you thanks in Jesus' name.